Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. Thanks for downloading. This episode is supported by Gold Stack Accounts, plain talking, friendly accountants for freelancers. They even begged me to make this sponsor message short so they wouldn't get in the way of the podcast. Set up a call with Martin today. He's bloody lovely. You won't regret it. Goldstackaccounts.com slash being freelance. And right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for cultural consultant Marge Ainsley. One of the things that you've got to do as a freelance is change with the times, but change with what the market needs. I don't think you can stay static. And maybe that's that's one reason why I feel like I've not stopped. I've been freelancing for ages now, haven't I? And I'm still learning. Yes, yeah, so there is Marge, who I've wanted to talk to for ages. She does really impressive stuff, her story coming up. How are you? Hope you are well. Do you know, this is weird. It's still recording this in lockdown, but today my kids are in school for just a few hours and my wife has decided to go into her office in London just for today. <laughs> so I've got the house to myself. Feels really weird. Anyway, I hope you're doing well. Uh, don't forget, come join the Being Freelance community full of freelancers just like you from around the world, uh, having a laugh, supporting each other. Just click on the community link at beingfreelance.com and I will see you in there. And if you're a freelancing parent, don't forget the other podcast I do. It's called Doing It For The Kids. That's with Frankie from the Doing It For The Kids community, which was nominated for the best business podcast at the British Podcast Awards, which is like a really fancy thing. We're up against like The Times and The Economist and so excited. I think we find out it would have been like a big posh London do award ceremony. Um, but now it's all being held online. But hopefully in a week or two, I will be able to tell you whether or not we won. But just being shortlisted has been awesome. Anyway, yeah, the whole point was I was just not trying to blow smoke up my ass, trying to tell you that you might want to check that out as well. Right, let's crack on. Chat to this week's guest, that is freelance cultural consultant, Marge Ainsley. Hey, Marge. Hey, Steve. So looking forward to this. How about we get started here and how you got started being freelance? Okay, so um, I went freelance in 2008. So what are we on now? So that's 12 years ago. And at the time, I was working in a uh, regional museum, so I was head of marketing there. I've been there for about 18 months and I was looking for something new, something to, to go into. I'd been working in the sector, in the arts and heritage sector for about seven or eight years, something like that. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't been in the sector that long, but I had kind of dabbled with the thought of freelancing a little bit, not really thought about it seriously. And then I was on holiday one summer. And an, an ex-colleague of mine uh, said to me, oh, do you know anyone who wants a press officer job going at the theatre that they worked at in Manchester? And I said to her, well, uh, would you consider freelance rather than part time? And she said yes. And uh, as soon as I got back from a holiday, I handed my notice in and went freelance. So I wouldn't necessarily say that's the best way to do it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I didn't have a business plan. I hadn't, you know, checked whether there was a market for the kinds of work that I do. I'm being totally honest with you, you know. So, mm. so yeah, I kind of, I, I, I knew the sector well, you know. I had a couple of contacts uh, who were freelance, actually. But I don't know. I just was ready for a change, and I just thought, do you know what? I'm, I'm just going to give this a go, and. 
she she offered me um it was the equivalent essentially of three days a week so it wasn't it wasn't obviously it wasn't you know a three days a week job it was more like a three days a week equivalent for a retainer and I did that for six months working with them and that meant that I had that kind of financial cushion I could build up you know all the stuff that I should have been doing um like my my website and my brand and you know everything else um that you have to do and maybe kind of put a plan together and so I used almost that six months as a bit of a test bed really is it right for me um can I can I make a go of this I always say with with my work and you know museum freelance which is a network that I help run I'm sure we'll come on to talk about that you know freelancing isn't for everyone and so I think that six months just kind of really made me think, you know, oh, I really, really like this. This is this is great. I, I really want to be doing this. And I always said if it didn't work out, I would just go back and get a job. So. So, yeah. And what I started off doing then is, isn't quite the same as what I'm doing now as well. So that was working, doing press, press office types. Well, stuff. yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of... Um, when I first went freelance and, and sorted it, sorted everything out, uh, my offer predominantly was marketing. So I set up and it was my James Lee marketing. And so I did, you know, marketing strategy and marketing tactical work and you know, press and PR. I, I think, you know, one of the one of the things that you've got to do as a freelancer, and this is certainly something that's that's worked for me, is, you know, ch- change with the times, but change with what the market needs. So for me it became really obvious quite early on that there was a call for a lot more evidencing in the sector and, um, you know, proving that you have either done what you set out to do for a funder or, um, you know, for your your own internal kind of um, KPIs and that kind of thing. I'd done quite a bit of research and evaluation work in my kind of PAYE full-time roles in museums previously, and I thought, "Mm, I think there's a there's an opportunity here to start offering independent evaluation and research services to, to the sector. So probably about two or three years in, I kind of went back, did a load of CPD around that kind of aspect of my work. And, you know, I'd say when I started freelancing, about 75% was the marketing. And now I would say 75% of what I do is independent evaluations or um, audience research. So it's yeah. it's really kind of varied, you know, and that's why, that's why I love it. I love the way it sounds like you listen to what people might actually want and then adapted. Yeah, I just don't, I don't think you can stay um, static um, and maybe that's that's one reason why I feel like I've not stopped. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I did stop <laughs> when I got to 10 years in and really looked at what I was doing and why I was doing it. Um, but I think it, it is you've got to you've got to always be looking at what what's the you know, whether there's still a demand for what you do, what what the needs are of the sector that you're in. And, and adapt to that accordingly you know and it's and it's like the situation we find ourselves in at the moment you know so you know we're now talking during the the pandemic and how are we as freelancers going to you know re- respond to that how can we you know draw on our 
you know if you if you run a business you you've got even if you don't think you have you've got some entrepreneurial spirit in you you know you have to 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 run your own business so how can you use that to to really think about oh crikey right okay what what do I need to do what do my clients need now um you know what what does you know my my target audience obviously is, is museums and the cultural sector what are they looking for now what are their audiences needing now um and and how do we meet meet the needs there mm. so when you were finding those first clients when you set out was it the sort of thing where you apply for jobs as they come up or was it that you were cold emailing or people you'd already met like how were you getting work basically yeah when i started you know it was a a case of actually getting in touch with my existing network of you know senior managers across museums um, marketing managers across museums um and existing freelancers and that that's the that's been the key for me uh, last year i looked back at over you know 11 years of freelancing it was at that stage i looked at where my work come from right so 70% nearly of all my contracts like over the years have come through word of mouth you know 70% so i've not i've not really applied for tons of stuff and um, museums do put contracts out so there are briefs out there on various different websites and um you know procurement is is quite a challenge but for me it's been about very much investing in terms of that marketing side it's about constantly you know being visible you know whether that's speaking engagements or writing articles um or being involved in twitter discussions and i think i was fortunate that i had a couple of contacts who were already freelance who invited me to pitch for some work with them and that's kind of continued when when I've worked with associates like that and I call them associates I think like these days there's these fancy terms isn't there gosh I sound like a dinosaur saying that these days but like the fancy like term collective you know this collective I don't, I don't know whether it's different or not but for me it just it was a no-brainer working with associates right from the start a very small group of trusted individuals who did similar things but not identical to me so right from the start that's been a a massive um I think it's actually been why the business has carried on working with associates so 20% again looking back at those numbers 20% of my work my contracts that I've worked on have been with associates and that's either them asking me to um, pitch in for, for a for a job with them or they've just invited me they said look we've won this do you want to do you want to help out you ended up getting involved in projects that perhaps you wouldn't necessarily have done by yourself but also because the projects they were working on sometimes were with groups of museums so for example you know a um you know cross marketing campaign across 15 different museums in a particular region that then opens up those 15 museums for, for them to get to know you and then call you back individually for future work. So it's been hugely important for me in my business that I, you know, I do that work. And it's not just from a financial or a marketing perspective either. I think it's just one of the best things that you can do in terms of keeping sane and keeping that sense of isolation right down there because you've got a team you know you're working with those 
those other people. I've got this range of associates around me where I can either draw on them to put in for work or they can approach me for work. And that's just been one of the best things. Mm. I love the fact that you have the figures to do with your business, you know, like the 70%, the 20%. I just, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I, the only reason I did it and I, I'm being a, I shouldn't really say this, should I? But being a kind of a research person, I should really know all the numbers. But I, I hadn't really looked. And the only reason I did it was because we, as part of the museum freelance um, network, I mentioned before, we run a training course for that. And um, I said to my, my co-trainer, Christina, I was like, oh, it'd be really interesting to actually look back through our Mm. our contracts and and say and, and you know be able to tell people because one of the things that we talk about on the course um, apart from you know the realities of freelancing is you know the the importance of word of mouth developing a reputation and and that kind of thing so yeah I just found it fascinating going back and actually looking at the other interesting thing that I, I found out was a third a third of my clients like they've booked me more than once so like a third repeat clients. Yeah. So again, that just to me shows the importance of you know, even if you've finished work with a client, you know, I'll I'll still, you know, if I see an article that's of interest to a client, I I know, you know, three years and three or five years ago or whatever, I'll just drop them an email and I'll say, Oh, just spotted this, thought you might be interested. Because even if they've not got any work or any budget to, you know, pay you to do anything at this point. You never know who they're talking to. You know, you never know. They might have a colleague say, oh, we really could do with this. And you've just popped up in their inbox. So it's that constant, you know, reminder about that. You know, I'm still here. I'm still here that we that we all kind of have to do and have to find the time to do. Yeah. You mentioned kind of like taking stock 10 years, 10 years in. I love that you did that. Yeah. Um, so what did ten, you do? Ten year, 10 year itch. So, yeah, 10 years in, I kind of. I suppose it's a bit like that talking heads lyric, isn't it, about how did I get here or whatever, <laughs> you know. I kind of just and I'm not saying this in a big headed way, and those of people who know me will know I'm not I'm not like that, but I I, I just had not stopped. I'd not stopped at all. I'd kind of I've been loving what I was doing, I've been flat out working and I kind of woke up one January ten years in and um I just I just felt a bit bored. And I know that sounds terrible, doesn't it, with saying, oh, I love it and the rest of it. But I just felt felt really just this sense of something not quite right. I kind of was looking at the work I was doing and I had kind of similar jobs. And I was thinking, I'm not really making a difference with what I'm doing here. Um, I was kind of writing the same kind of plans for people and to, to varying um, lengths of those plans being used or not used and um, I just thought you know what I need to really just stop and reflect on on you know why I'm doing what I'm doing and and, and who I'm working for and uh, I've not refreshed my you know brand at all in the visual identity sense of, of brand you know I, like I was I was still operating on the 2008 website which looked horrendous so there was a kind of a real opportunity there to look at me as a brand rather than doing that work for my clients so when I talk about brand you know that that whole range of you know what what we stand for why why we're doing what we're doing I don't mean brand as in I needed to change my logo 
So um, I ended up working with a business coach. And I sound surprised saying that because I was always really quite sniffy about business coaches. And Mm -hmm. again, being totally honest, I just thought, I know what I'm doing. I've been fine for 10 years. I don't need a business coach. Why does anyone need a business coach? Just, you know, crack on, read a few articles, it'll be fine. And I was really brave and I got in touch with a guy called Simon Seligman. He actually works kind of um, as a freelancer within the cultural sector as well, but I didn't know that at the time and, and does coaching work. So there was a kind of a nice link there. And do you know what, Steve? It was the best thing I have ever done, actually. It really, really helped me unpack, you know, what I was doing in terms of, you know, my values for the business, who I who I want to work with and, and do they have the same values as, as me? We went through a whole process of just, you know, looking at how I was actually structuring my time as a freelancer as well. And I suppose the, the the main things that came out of it, apart from, you know, that leading into me then working with a designer to redo my identity and, and everything else based on those values, is this whole thing around choice, you know, and not underestimating that, that power of choice and also permission with freelancing. So, you know, for years and years, I just was tied to my desk and I felt like, like many of us do, I've, I've heard people talk about this before on the podcast, you know, guilt of leaving your desk to have a lunch break or, you know, guilt of not being there 24-7 in the holidays. And I think some of that actually came from when I went freelance, I kind of, you know, I read all those business kind of leader books and this, you know, I remember distinctly reading this one by, you know, Karen Brady, the um is it Aston Villa chairman like the 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 one that was on um The Apprentice Apprentice, that's Mm. the one and she wrote that she wrote a book and in it she you know um she's read she's written many books I think but one of these books I read was talking about you know you must be on your phone 24 7 you've got to be there for your clients all the time and now in, in some industries maybe that is true and if your goal and your you know, your drive in freelancing is about making as much money as you can, then, you know, maybe that that is what you need to do. But for me, and then it sounds stupid, really, because um, it's not rocket science. For me, it was just a revelation having someone say to me and hold that mirror up, which is what coaches do. They don't tell you what to do. They get you to, you know, come up with these answers yourself. You know, just someone saying, you know, who are you waiting for? you know, permission from, you know, you can give yourself permission to go for a lunch break. You know, you can give yourself permission to take a holiday. You know, you don't, you don't have a boss anymore that's going to, you know, do that, give you a pat on the back. You've got to do that yourself. And that for me just really helped the whole business coaching thing just helped with my mindset a little bit. And it was a a little bit like a reset button actually in year 10. Uh, And then this choice thing as well, you know, you can choose now, obviously, you can be more choosy when you've been freelancing 10 years versus when you've been freelancing six months. But for me, it was choice as a powerful thing in terms of I can choose 
to work with clients who share my values. You know, I don't have to work with clients who don't share my values anymore. I don't have to work with clients if, you know, they they aren't on the same page in terms of the fee or, you know, they aren't on the same page in terms of my commitments in a caring role at home. So that that kind of 10-year business coaching thing just really helped me refocus on the business. And so and I've, I've carried on working with that coach since then, not as frequently. It's quite an intense period whilst I was working out uh, the rebrands. But I'd really, you know, even if you're a bit kind of, oh, I'm, I'm just not sure about it. I'd really recommend you find someone that will kind of sit down with you or, or, or online, uh, have a kind of an introductory get to know you session first before you commit to anything. They do do that. You know, and just just give it a go and see if it's for you, because because it might really help. Mm. How much time did you take out to to go through that whole process? Yeah, so I I ended up booking um, a month off in the summer. In the January, I started working with Simon, and then we worked over the following months after that, leading me to July being off. So I then. We, we'd done all the kind of the groundwork and then I took July off to do all the stuff like writing a brief for a designer for the rebrand, writing a brief for the website. So in that period between January and July, we did all the stuff around values and kind of try to work out where I was going and what I was doing rather than me just going in January, right, I need a new brand or I need to work with different people. Mm. So it was a real investment in that time and that process. But for me, I needed to book and ring fence that July off in the January. You know, I couldn't get to April or May and go, right, I'm going to take July off because I have projects. Again, I don't know whether this is slightly different in our sector. You know, sometimes you'll have projects that are, you know, just a few days work, but some of them might be, you know, a few days work over a period of time, like six months. Um, You know, I could be working on a big capital project where it's a big build and that goes on for quite a long time. So I can't just suddenly take July off. So it it was put in the diary pretty much from our probably second kind of discussion that I had with Simon. So that was ring fenced. And then since then, I've done exactly the same, Um, you know, each year uh, since. I think I've only had one, haven't I? Um, (laughs) I, I, I book a... I book a month off in the summer and I'll use two weeks of that for holiday and I'll use two weeks of that for business planning. If you can do it, you know, not everyone can do it. It doesn't have to be a month. It could be three days. I know someone from Museum Freelance uh, who, you know, takes themselves off to a hotel. You know, they book two days away from family and they just sit there and they plan and they do and they think. Uh, and I think it's that thing, isn't it? Think. We, we really... We're so busy delivering that sometimes we don't sit and and do that just thinking time. Mm. So yeah, it was um, it was a, a kind of a real real turning point I think that and since then I've sl- slightly changed the way I work in terms of who I work with. The the main difference I think is the type of work that I do, um, and focusing really on the projects that I want to work on. And I I have what I call um a perfect client brief checklist so this came out of that that bit of work with Simon really so I screen everything I go for through this kind of checklist it's on my blog actually um 
so for the people who want to have a look at it so there's things in there like you know does the work have purpose um does the client share my values do they have a realistic budget and time frame are they open to new ways of working or flexible approaches you know with like creative things in terms of the brief or flexible approaches in terms of how I how I work and when I work um you know are they likely to pay um do they have some kind of propensity to pay you and and I suppose you know is, is it going to stretch me going to stretch me in a good way or in a bad way that impacts <laughs> on my health and well-being and I mean there's a few more things on the list you go and have a look at it but I I use that it's 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 I'm, I'm reading it it's stuck on my wall you know I use that to really really think about whether whether I I should go for a piece of work and I think that's come because I found that actually if your values align with the client's values then you know more often than not it, it becomes a great project to work on and I have to say you know I've not had loads of projects that you know have gone you know I've not had any that have gone wrong but I have had one where I've had to withdraw from um, in 12 years and I've had ones where I've not enjoyed them as much as others. And I think, you know, I'm not saying they'll all be perfect if, you know, I scan it through this checklist. But it's, there's a greater likelihood, I think, that, mm. that it would work out better. So, so yeah, I use, I use that as well. And that came out of that piece of work. So cool. Um, a few times you've mentioned museum freelance. So t- tell me about that. Well, I wasn't responsible for creating it in the first place. Um, so it's been going for five years um, and it was set up by Christina Lister and Laura Crossley. And I came in, in about a year into it. So Museum Freelance was set up essentially to lobby and champion and support freelancers working um, specifically across museums, libraries, galleries, archives and, and heritage sites. We run it voluntarily. So there's only so much that we can do. But I know there's um our community has grown so much, you know, over over those five years and there's so much we want to do, but we've got to just bear in mind that there's only so many hours in the week. We have like a conference every year. The purpose really is to get the freelancers to really think like a business to really look at their health and well-being to really be financially you know um, savvy so there's that kind of conference side and um, we also run training as well so we I think we've done five um, training days over the last kind of couple of years um, and that's specifically aimed at those who are either new um, to freelancing kind of within the first six to 12 months or um, are thinking about freelancing. And then there's the, the social um, and community side. So we have LinkedIn group and we do guest blogs on the website. We have Q&As on Twitter and socials that we do usually in July and December. Um, and we have people try and get people to offer to do those in different regions. And then I suppose the the other side is the lobbying I suppose moving into the activist side on behalf of freelancers and my goodness have we um have we shown that in the last few weeks so I think I spent the first two weeks of lockdown um you know trying really hard to lobby for you know support for freelancers not just from you know the government um, support schemes perspective but also within our own sector 
it's just taken up so much time even just doing that but I feel like you know it did help and it, it did get us somewhere although we are still really concerned about all those freelancers who've fallen through the cracks you know but the other thing I suppose with museum freelance um, is we we've done this year for the first time again just in a voluntary capacity a, a kind of a state of museum freelance um, freelancing survey so we actually put a survey out to this the freelancers in January this year and we did that because we don't really know much about who museum freelancers are what they do how they feel what kind of projects they work on what they charge how optimistic they are um there's not really been it done anything done like that we're hoping to pre- like publish the results of that in the autumn and use the findings from that survey to do more lobbying for freelancers Man, it's huge. <laughs> yeah, that was that, that was like the that was the side project. <laughs> it's it, it's it's hugely impressive. Good for you. Um, oh, I just love it though. I love it, and you know, it bring it's it's actually it's just really rewarding when you do get emails. You know, that makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, it's 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 a side project, but it's a side project that does, if you're not careful, take up quite a fair bit of your time yeah Um, how do you manage your time well it's an interesting one Steve I think I've decided I'm just a person that likes to be busy I don't know whether this is the right time to mention it but I also launched a second business this year well tail end of last year um so you know I've got that's a photography um business so I've kind of got that on the side as well so I think for me and you know it comes back to this whole like work life thing doesn't it typically I don't know whether everyone would agree with me but typically you know you don't work in the museum sector for the money you know you work in the museum sector because you love what what it stands for you know what what we do you know I work in the sector um because I think that the arts and culture you know it, it has the power to really change I know this sounds really cheesy but to change people's lives and I see that through my evaluation work you know I have the privilege of talking to the people who the arts has made such a difference to their lives so when you go into our sector often it's because you really enjoy culture anyway and so for me it's it's more of a blend that that work-life balance thing because for me I'm kind of doing stuff in a in an industry that I find fascinating and enjoy in my personal life as much as my professional life and that's where the challenge comes from I think when you work freelance in our sector because you can quite easily you know you could go to say um, a museum event like say um, an exhibition opening on a night and that really you know you would count that you know as work you're networking you are maybe looking for a bit new, new business you're there kind of in your role for as a freelancer for that museum because you worked with them but it's kind of really fun and nice and <laughs> um you love seeing the exhibition because you really like exhibitions as well so there's a kind of um it blends I think into your your home life maybe more so than than maybe maybe other sectors I don't I don't know so time wise I mean I'm quite I'm a lot more strict than I used to be after my 10 year review thing so I used to literally sit probably from my on my desk from you know half seven till half seven you know I'd work late in the evening I'd, I'd work at weekends because of that kind of that Karen Brady mindset I was talking about earlier that you know you've got to be on all the time now again you know 
other people might that might be what they they want to do but for me especially after that you know 10 year thing um I am not great at it but I'm a lot better at it I will take a lunch break now you know I will build in a run into my day and I should mention a big thank you shouldn't I to everybody who did buy a being freelance mug last year (laughs) for my run so those of you don't know so I recruited 40 people last year when I was 40 to raise 40,000 pounds for Alzheimer's research and we all went and did the Great North Run last, last September and Steve did a really amazing offer for the mugs and so thank you to anyone listening who bought a mug um we we're just shy of forty thousand pounds now so i'm going back and i'm do i'm doing well i'm not going back because it's all virtual now but um yeah we're gonna get to that forty thousand and if it kills me um but anyway i'll do i'll do running you know i'll i'll build yeah. a run into my day um and i i i'm really really strict on blocking out holidays so i don't like i said i don't just get to the summer months and go all right i'll take two weeks off and they're in so i know if i go for a contract say you know that's in september in my proposal i will say to them i am on holiday in october on these dates so they know up front and i block block those in for the whole year so that so that it doesn't kind of it's dead easy to get carried away and just not have have that time in i don't know i think like i said people have different maybe different views on that i'm very much on the kind of paul jarvis company of one level you know i don't want to grow my business exponentially so you know i turn into the next whatever i just want to bring enough in to cover my bills have enough money for a holiday have enough money for savings have enough money for childcare and have time and i think that's something i've really really learned over the last two or three years see like i've been freelancing for ages now haven't i and i'm still learning you know it's about for me it's about buying back that time so even outsourcing you know i didn't really outsource stuff until maybe four years ago or something like that now i used to do all my own accounts i used to do all my own transcribing of hours of interviews from research jobs I just outsource that now because for me it's about having that having that time is so important. Oh my gosh. Now Marge, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? Okay. I accidentally spilled a mug of coffee on Prince Charles's coat. <laughs> I once drove Tim Burgess back to his hotel after a gig in my rusty Fiat. I used to drive a Cadbury's milk tray van full of dairy milk. <laughs> These are brilliant. Where where was Prince Charles? So this was at the Harris Museum. So the Harris Museum I was a marketing manager at before I went freelance. And he was there to open the story of Preston Gallery. Have you ever done a royal visit event in your career no especially since i started working from home they tend not to come here (laughs) so they come with quite an entourage and um everything is timed to to the second you know so he turned up with his entourage and what what they'd asked us to do was put a separate area together for all like the media stuff and the press stuff which was in my marketing office at the time when he turned up you know he has his little minions behind him whatever and he gave one of them his coat. They then gave it to me to put in the marketing office with the rest of the other stuff because he was spending a couple of hours at the museum. 
they had all like the councillors and stuff and so it was all a bit of a great and good event so they gave me the coat I took that in the office when I got back into the office my phone rang and as I picked up the phone obviously landline with a little cord on it caught my coffee and I put the coat down so the coffee just went straight over the coat now you know Prince Charles has those um it's like a kind of mustard camel colour coat. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it was like that. So, <laughs> so I'm like on the phone and I could see this coffee stain like soaking into this coat thinking, oh my, what am I going to do about this? We had like a staff toilet just outside the door. And so I ran and like got some of those, you know, those green paper towels that you have yeah. in offices. So I dabbed it up with that. And then handily, so at the Harris, there's a big textile collection. And when we when we were displaying, you know, beautiful dresses and outfits and stuff, we used a, a steam press. So we had loads of kit. So what I did was I dabbed it up with the towel paper towels and then got the decorative arts curator to give it a steam because <laughs> it was wet. Um <laughs> And because it was kind of on the inside, I thought I might get away with it. <laughs> so, yeah. Amazing. Okay. Uh, you gave Tim... So, Tim Burgess, uh, frontman of the amazing Charlatans. Yes. I was working at um, a book launch that he was doing at a library. Um, and I was actually doing photography. So, that was my second business stuff. And so I'd done all my photo shoots during the gig and stayed behind right till the end. We had like, um, there was people getting books and memorabilia signed and all that kind of stuff. And then the organiser of the event just said to me, oh, you wouldn't mind giving Tim a lift back to his hotel, would you? I've got, I've not got my car with me today. I'm, I'm on the train. So obviously I said, absolutely happy to I marched Tim Burgess to my my Fiat now what do you do with Tim Burgess in your car when you have to put the radio on what I mean what like what track do you put on if I'd have known I would have actually made sure my car was tidy Um, and as it was it had like a boot full of Christmas presents from my mother's this was in December and you know all sorts of empty water bottles and all sorts of rubbish on the back seat so um okay and you used to drive a dairy milk van no i used to drive a cadbury's milk tray van full of dairy milk so before i worked in the cultural sector i was a sales rep for cadbury's this was after uni i didn't really do shops it was more factories and workplaces where they had a canteen that kind of thing to basically flog new chocolate bar ranges and give them Cadbury branded stands to have their chocolate did you get to keep some of the chocolate I did if I got hungry I just kind of lean back in the van and eat one of the chocolate bars well you've done a marvelous job on elaborating on all of these I I tell you what, I will be gutted if the Prince Charles story isn't true. I love <laughs> that story. Dairy milk. I mean, that does feel. I I very nearly became a Lego salesman after university. Oh. Like that feels plausible, which makes me feel like Tim Bird. Like, why would Tim Burgess? 
Why would they not just put him in a cab? Why would they ask? And no disrespect to you, but why would they ask you to give him a lift? Uh, so I'm saying that is the lie. Oh, Steve, it's the Prince Charles one. Oh, no! <laughs> that was such a good story! I know, I oh, know. Devastating days are real. We never had a royal visit, certainly not when I was there. Right? Oh, Paris. Mark, that is the best lie. That's so good. Well done. Totally convinced. It was worth all the hours. (laughs) Actually, I was before we finish. That reminds me, though, with 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 the photography element in there with Tim Burgess. So, as if you're not busy enough cultural consultant and your museum freelance stuff and family and running (laughs) and charity work, you. You set up another business. So it's not just that yeah. you enjoy doing photography on the side. It's, you've actually turned it into a business. Yeah. This kind of also came out of the 10-year coaching stuff. So I've, I've done photography for ages. And one of the things that I talked about with Simon, my coach, in those early sessions was just that kind of, even though I work in the creative sector, I don't do a lot of creative stuff myself. <laughs> and so I was really missing, I realised that, I was really missing that creative outlet. Mm. I just woke up one day and thought, oh, I wonder whether I could actually make a go of this as a business. And so I actually just really quickly set it up and I, I soft launched it, I would say, kind of, you know, kind of August, September last year. And then really went for it from January. And it is really fascinating, Steve, actually, to compare how I how I market and get clients for my museum consultancy work, which is, you know, B2B, with how I market my photography business, which is a, is a bit of B2B, but it's a lot of B2C as well. And it's just completely different. And I do feel like I kind of have a lot of learning and catching up to do around actually how do you how do you launch a new business and how do you promote yourself as a photographer you know it's very visual led um so so yeah it's been fascinating doing that but yeah it's um like I say I do like to keep busy <laughs> I, I I mean your photography work is brilliant uh, and you. I noticed so you you have two separate um two separate websites right yeah so in fact two separate names now i think about it yeah that's right so when i went freelance with the museum consultancy stuff originally i've, I've always just used my name for that so mar jainsley um that my maiden name and actually with that one i made the call very early on not to pigeonhole myself actually into the cultural sector i I didn't say I was a cultural consultant or a cultural marketing person at, at that point because I thought, oh, there might not be any work in the arts and heritage sector. Um, I'll do marketing for any kind of business. Whereas now with Mar, Mar Jainsley, you'll see on my website, it's very, very much cultural sector focused. I realised at the 10 year point, I probably know what I'm doing by now and I can probably get say actually yes I am just a person who works in the cultural sector I kind of lost all that worry about it so that's kind of cultural sector stuff ironically now that might not have been such a great idea but and then I didn't want to muddy the water really with the photography work because I felt it needed like a separate brand you know like again like the values and the identity and everything that goes with that um, so I set that up under Marge Bradshaw, which is my married name. 
so yeah you'll you'll notice the difference and and the look between the two and I think I like to keep it that way and and I think it would have been difficult if someone was phoning up and saying you know hi is that Marge and I'm kind of trying to work out whether a photography potential client or a museum (laughs) client so yeah I try and keep I, I keep them separate yeah Marge if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance what would that be Oh, it's a tricky one. I think there would be so much to say. I think I would probably say be brave and be bold, you know, so whether that's saying no more often or going back to a client to question a brief, you know, I, I do a lot of that now. I, if I if I don't, if the brief is awful or I don't understand something on the brief or I want to suggest something, I will ring them. I will pick up the phone now. So just being a bit more um, brave and bold and I think like I said you know earlier you know it's that don't don't underestimate the power of, of choice and, and permission and I think something that I did focus on right at the start and has been the focus all along for me so I'll keep telling it myself and I would tell it my younger self is, is think like a business and we talk a lot about that on the museum freelance training you know I think sometimes it's it's very easy like certainly when you first go freelance to you know you'll get an invoice in and you know you treat it like you know a salary or whatever it's like oh brilliant I could go and buy my shoes or whatever you want to buy so even from you know thinking like a business from a financial perspective and the fact that that's the money for the business and it's not your kind of monthly salary thing through to thinking like a business with your rates and the way you negotiate so I think I think that's that's really important and probably get a business coach earlier (laughs) I would say Oh, Marge, it's been so good to chat to you and to hear your story. You can go to beingfreelance.com, click on Marge's page. Obviously, you can search for Marge if, if you're listening to this sometime in the future. As with all of our guests, there'll be links through so that you can find what, well, you know, we'll put a link to the blog post that Marge uh, mentioned earlier. You can see her two different websites and Museum Freelance if you want to check that out. Anyway, it's all at beingfreelance.com. While you're there, also check out the blog, the articles, the community click through come join us in there but now marge thank you so much it's been awesome watching what you get up to and all the best being freelance cheers steve thanks